welcome to the Wild Books podcast. I'm Thalia Caddy, book lover, cat mom and candle maker. After years working in the glittering West End in the theatre industry, I swapped plays for books and started Wild Books, a small business with a big heart, with a vision to enrich your life through the world of books. This is not a book review podcast. This is the start of a conversation around ideas explored in books, which will open your hearts and minds. Taking inspiration from fictional stories and a wide library of non-fiction books, we go deep into subjects that matter and that will positively impact your life. By looking through the eyes of other people with different life experiences, I challenge you to listen with openness to what you hear today. So, take a deep breath, get curious, and allow yourself to be surprised. so much for joining me today on the Wild Books podcast. I have another brilliant non-fiction book to share with you today, Quiet by Susan Cain. The power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. Today I want to help you to understand what the difference between being extroverted and introverted is and to challenge the perhaps more surface level preconception in this modern world that the louder you talk, the better you're going to do in life. So I want to focus in on the power of being introverted and also there are some really helpful tips on how to lean into your natural state and really protect yourself and be the best version of yourself throughout life. So, Quiet by Susan Cain. Susan Cain set out to challenge the Western obsession with being loud. During the 20th century, a culture was building towards the loudest voice, the most charismatic individuals leading the way. Capitalism took hold after the Industrial Revolution and the people who were selling the most were perceived to be the most successful. They were forward, charming, persuasive. We started to believe that more money equaled more success and success is what we as humans tend to strive towards. And so we developed this obsession with the extroverted type. But this is not the default temperament for the human population, and nor was the obsession representative of what we had been in the past. Previously, people looked for honour, trust, humility in their relationships. But now, to be dominant and forceful was overtaking as the most important attribute required to succeed in the world. So, before we go any further, what are the differences between introvert and extrovert? There's no hard and fast rule, but more of a general list of traits that are good indicators of your persuasion. So, the names introvert and extrovert first came along with Carl Jung, his writing in 1921. Carl Jung was an influential psychologist who worked on personality types and psychological analysis, with many groundbreaking ideas explored in his work. You might recognise his name, definitely go and have a look at him if you're interested in psychology and the history of psychology. But the terms introvert and extrovert are now really widely used and understood. So an introvert tends to be a deeper thinker, someone who focuses on one task at a time and gets their energy from spending time alone. They prefer an environment with less stimulation. Now an extrovert tends to be the opposite. So someone who thrives in lively environments, gets their energy from spending time with other people and can work in high pressure dynamic situations. 
So do you think you're an introvert or an extrovert? Or more of an ambivert? Someone who sits somewhere in the middle? I'd love to know. Let me know over on Instagram if you want to talk about whether you think you're an introvert or an extrovert. If you're not sure, good introvert and extrovert quizzes are also really vastly available online. So go Google introvert quiz and you'll be able to figure out which temperament you lean towards. Now, it's important to know before we go any further that whoever you are, you are unique and individual and any defining personality type you give yourself should be used as a useful tool to help you to move through your life. There is no good or bad, only you. But as we're talking about quiet, let's look at why introverts are so awesome. Some of the greatest leaders, artists, thinkers in the world have been introverts, including Charles Darwin, Steve Jobs, Rosa Parks and Audrey Hepburn. We clearly need these brilliant people and their brilliant minds. And I want to focus on the positive of an introvert's creativity. There is a brilliant power in the introverted persuasion. Those who are introverted tend to be deep thinkers whose creative powers are exceptional. And I don't just mean creativity in the way of creating a piece of art or writing a book. I mean the kind of creativity that solves problems, that looks for solutions and innovates outside of our current reality. So before we keep going, I just want to challenge what your notion of creativity is. When I first went into the workplace... In my first week of work, I was at a group leadership development day with other colleagues and we were asked to score ourselves out of 10 in different areas of competencies. And one of these was creativity. I gave myself a four. My manager, who was with me at the day, challenged this. She didn't understand where this was coming from based on the recruitment process we'd just been through and the creativity I demonstrated. But I was coming from a world surrounded by friends who were writing plays and performing and fit into a more mainstream vision of what creativity was for me. And I had defined creativity as someone who was the creative in that process. But that was wrong. I may have been producing shows and managing people and finances in the projects I worked on, but I approached all of that with high levels of creative thinking looking outside the box, approaching things in novel ways and without limits to what was possible. So I want you to think about what creativity means to you right now. So I know things might feel a little scary out there in the world right now and we might not be able to be jet-setting across the world on summer holidays like I'm sure we'd all love to. So I've got a little treat for you. I have created the Wild Books Summer Travels Trail. For the next two weeks, you can treat yourself to different Wild Books products every day with a different discount, which will help you to get into the mood of summer exploration and escapism. So check out my website and Instagram to see what today's deal is. This is a very limited time only. The deals are only going to be available for two, three days at a time. And get in the mood for summer. We do not have to travel to enjoy escapism right now. Come over to Wild Books and let's have a little bit of summer joy and fun. And where you may be limiting your perspective on your own personal creativity. I bet you're more creative than you think. So how does this apply to introversion? 
In our Western culture, we have a tendency to believe that collaborating and working together produces best results. Our whole society and culture is set up to think together, work together. At school, kids are put in little pods to work together at their desks. At work, we all get together to brainstorm ideas. Everyone's huddled together to develop a new solution to an existing problem. And it's fair to say that when this happens, the loudest voices tend to come through first. Next time you're sat in a group meeting, just observe who is it who is putting forward more ideas and contributing the most. Is it the loudest person? Is it someone who you might potentially categorise as an extrovert? So as a result of this, it's also believable that our ideas may be a little narrower because they're just coming from a few people in the group. So there's an experiment that Susan Cain talks about in Quiet, which took place in the 1950s around the psychology of brainstorming by psychologist Solomon Ash with a group of volunteer students. And he wanted to test the impact that group thinking has on the individual. So first he got each individual separately to answer which out of the three lines in a picture all varying in length, was the longest. So you had a sheet of paper, three lines, which one do you see as being the longest? The results came back and given the simple nature of the question, 95% of the students answered correctly. He then went on to do the same test, but in groups. And he planted actors within the group who knowingly gave incorrect answers. The influence this had on the group was startling, with the number of students answering correctly plummeting to 25%. This shows so starkly that we are hugely influenced by the people around us. This type of experiment has been repeated time and time again with similar results, which shows so clearly our inclination to match those around us and doubt our own thoughts. And this comes through so clearly it's embedded in our human nature. So bearing this in mind, let's go back to that brainstorming session. You've got one or two louder voices who are putting forward the ideas. The chances are that everyone around that table has a brilliant idea, but you're more likely to nod along to the person who's putting their idea forward because you don't want to be seen as being wrong. Perhaps your idea is completely different and you've taken a radically different approach and because you want to fit in and you don't want to stand out you're more likely to keep quiet about that and just go along with the loudest person and their idea but that's that's where we're missing the magic because your ideas as an introvert are come into being in a very different way and we want to capture that magic. We want to use your mind and your brilliant thinking, your deep thinking to bring to light positive change in this world. So I want you to try this instead. If you have the potential to impact the way that you're working, please give this a try. Get everyone to come to a meeting prepared with ideas and then get everyone to go around and share allow people time to think ahead of the ideas session so that people aren't put on the spot and it allows people who need a lot longer to process an idea and come up with solutions to do that in their own time. 
And by asking people to prepare and encouraging an environment of sharing, you'll allow each individual to put forward their best ideas before the discussion begins. And that allows everyone's voice to be heard, not just the loudest. And this can be used in lots of different scenarios, whether that be a group of children, a playgroup, or just the family uh, around a dinner table and you're discussing where you would like to go on your next day trip. Try and encourage an environment where the people who are quieter feel safe to share their ideas and that it's okay for us all to have very radically different thoughts. So the next part of the book that I want to tell you about is this concept of infant reactivity. So I'm a bit of a science nerd. I did uh, biology at university and I just love it when we start talking about the human body and our variations and how we differ physiologically. As someone who was diagnosed with generalised anxiety disorder a few years ago, which is luckily more at bay currently, uh, I have learned that I had a naturally higher level of stress hormones, which under a period of sustained stress, my cortisol levels shot up and needed a long time and a combination of antidepressants to come back down to normal. And that really helped me to understand the physiology behind my illness and therefore also the difference between each of us as humans in our actual biochemistry. So this is impacted by many things, nature and nurture, our gene expression and the environment and its stresses that we develop in. In Quiet, there's a brilliant chapter on child reactivity, which shows in quite a rudimentary way the impacts that our genetic composition has on whether we're likely to become more introverted or extroverted in life. So there's a developmental psychologist, Jerome Kagan, who started his experiments in 1989. He looked at babies and their responses to different environmental stimuli, such as popping balloons or wafting an alcohol-soaked cotton swab in front of their noses. So by observing and recording their responses, Kagan was able to predict with significant reliability whether someone would develop to be more introverted or extroverted later in life. So he would do his experiments as a baby, he would track his results, and then he would see the children again as they grow, grew older to understand where they were kind of on the scale of introversion or extroversion. Given that these tests were taking place at such a young age, it shows how a temperament at a young age correlates to the natural state of an individual and therefore how much of an impact your personal physiology contributes to this. So it would be really interesting for you to ask a parent or someone who knew when you were young what kind of temperament you had. Were you particularly sensitive or nonplussed by the world? I asked my parents and they said that I was a sensitive child who was thoughtful and easily upset. I also just distinctly remember crying a lot as a child. I couldn't handle being told off or getting something wrong. So yeah, I guess you could say I was pretty sensitive. Equally, if you have young ones in your life, it's a great way to identify who may be potentially more of an introverted persuasion. And that means you can think more about how you honour their different temperaments in different individuals and support them with their personality and their development, whether they be more introverted or extroverted. 
Okay, so now I want to talk to you about one of my favourite aspects of the book. I love a bit of self-help and thinking about how you can create a life that you love. Personally, I've been on a huge journey to discover what lights me up and how I want to be in my life. And I explore this lots in detail in episode one. So go back and give that a listen if you've not listened to that. But if it's been a while since you've checked in with yourself and what you're doing with your life, then this might be helpful to you. A huge value of mine is to create a life that you love. So there are lots of different ways to live a life, but we can get stuck and trapped in situations that aren't serving us. And that's okay and totally normal. But sometimes we need a little nudge in the right direction. So Susan Cain breaks down a framework to find the kind of work that you could be doing with your life based on your personality, your temperament and what you love. So I wanted to share these three questions with you. Get yourself a pen and paper and write them down or find them in the show notes and then journal around these ideas. Number one, what did you love to do as a child? So for me, I love this question because I think about... You know when you grow up and you you definitely gravitate towards different things and activities when you're a child and then you go through the education system and you're kind of pushed in different directions and there's lots of opinions about what you should be doing and how you should prepare yourself for your future life. And a lot of the time some of that love that you have for work and play just disappears and I definitely think this happened with me so as a young child I was very creative like I love to make things um shout out to anyone else who got the groovy chick bang on the door magazines with all of the different like creative uh glitter glues and sequins and all of that great stuff that was my obsession for a while But I was also a big reader and needed a lot of time on my own. I did activities, but, you know, group activities, but I also spent so much time on my own. So I really think that I lost a bit of that in my development and growing into being an adult. And I ended up doing a job that was very people-focused, was with people a lot, very high-pressure environment, and actually... I don't know that that was that well suited to me. Whereas when I've spent a lot of time thinking about what I want to do, I've ended up creating a business where I make a lot of things and I read a lot of books. And that's just, that's just wonderful. (laughs) Um, So the second question is to pay attention to the work that you gravitate towards. So this could be thinking about the type of work that you do in your job. I'm sure most people will have various different responsibilities. What do you love doing? Do you love turning up to the weekly meetings with your team and bouncing off ideas? Or do you prefer the research element of your role or the writing? Just have a think about, almost like do an audit of what it is that you do in your job and identify what it is that you love the most. And that can really help you to understand what you are passionate about and what you want to do with your life. And then the third question is to pay attention to what you envy. I love this one. I think it's brilliant because it helps you to acknowledge where there's maybe an emotion around something someone else is doing and feeling 
envious doesn't have to be a negative. You can just see it as a sign that your mind and body would like to be doing that thing. So say one of your friends has just got a new job in the charity sector and you're working in If you're loving this podcast, then you'll want to sign up for the Wild Books mailing list. Each week you'll receive an email, Notes from the Wild, which contains three segments inspired by the world of books. You'll receive a book quote, a profile on a female author, and a thought segment around something that I've been reading or listening to that week. This is the email you'll want in your inbox. A weekly dose of inspiration, ideas to think on, uplifting words, and education around amazing women in the literary world. Head to wildbooks.co to subscribe today. In a more corporate job and you feel envious, just get curious. What is that about? Why is that? Is it because they're working for a charity that you care deeply about? Or is it that actually their office is a lot closer to their house so they don't have the commute that you have. Just get curious and you don't have to beat yourself up about any feelings you might have. They're just little signals from your body and your mind to tell you what perhaps you're looking for more of in your life. So it's important to acknowledge that sometimes the work that we end up doing comes from a vital value that we hold in life. So this could be at odds with your temperament. You might choose to teach because education and helping young people to learn and grow could be incredibly important to you. But that doesn't mean it's not going to wipe you out or be hugely challenging at times. So sometimes we decide to do things for selfless reasons or, or you know, that driven by that passion and that value, which fires us up and takes us so far. But we still need to think about our bodies and who we are and how we can best look after ourselves. So I've got a little bit of gold here for you to help you manage. Professor Brian Little is an award-winning former lecturer at Harvard University and is a brilliant example of someone whose life work has pushed him out of his introverted self consistently. With an impressive passion for education, Professor Little's lectures were captivating and he would give lots of time to his students in office hours and would write endless thoughtful letters of recommendation for them too. So here is an example of someone who temporarily borrows from the extroverted list of attributes to do his job. But what is necessary for him to do is this thing that he calls restorative niches. So a restorative niche is a place that you go to return to your true self. The space you allow yourself to enter to restore to your inner being. Professor Little will take a break in between lectures and stand outside alone. He will take part in a long conference day with other academics, but he'll take himself off for his lunch and in the evenings to be alone by himself. This is the point at which you give yourself the chance to recalibrate, that you let your nervous system calm and your cortisol levels balance out. You may feel this is sounding familiar, or this may be a totally new concept to you. As introverts, we need this time and space. Being an introvert doesn't mean you need to haul yourself up inside for the rest of time. It means you need more time to return to your true state in a busy world and with high levels of expectations that are put on us. 
I actually listened to Susan Cain talk to Tim Ferriss on his podcast about restorative niches. Tim explains that although he's an introvert, he also loves to host intimate dinner parties where he and his guests discuss big, important questions. But he needs little breaks, even throughout the evening, from the highly stimulating environment he's created. And so he just pops off to the loo every time he needs a minute. I chuckled at this listening because I totally do this. Often when I'm socialising and especially when I'm in a public setting, I'll just take myself off to the toilets for a few minutes just to give myself a little bit of quiet and a moment to restore. And I'm sure you're nodding too and thinking about the number of times you've just popped off for a minute just for a little break. And this is actually why I created the Wild Book subscriptions, because I think sometimes we feel like we need permission to take a step back and do something that recharges you. By spending a few moments each day with a book and a candle that sets up your environment, you're integrating restorative niches into your daily life and making sure that you protect your energy while you're doing something that you love. You don't need permission to do this, of course, but sometimes we need a little bit of a helping hand and that's okay. So I hope that based on today's episode, you can see the power of being an introvert, the potential that you have in in your brain and the creativity that you can bring forward to the world, but that it's okay that we also need to make a few conscious decisions and adaptations to make sure that we look after ourselves and get the most out of our lives. I would highly recommend reading Quiet if this has struck a chord with you and you feel like you want to understand more about being an introvert and there's so much brilliant history and science behind Susan Cain's work. So I have popped, so I have popped Quiet into my bookshop.org shop so if you do want to buy a copy of the book then go and shop at bookshop.org and that is an affiliate link so there'll be a little contribution made to me and I would be so grateful for that if you have enjoyed this episode then please snap a pic of you listening to it share it on your stories share it with a friend who you think would enjoy it as well and make sure that you check back for more episodes next week Have a lovely week. Thank you so much for listening to the Wild Books podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help more people to find the show by subscribing on your favourite podcast platform. And I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review and be sure to tell your friends. Make sure you're following Wild Books on Instagram and TikTok at wildbooksco and sign up to join the mailing list at wildbooks.co to receive more exclusive Wild Books content. Keep reading and stay open. See you next week. If you're loving this podcast, then you'll want to sign up for the Wild Books mailing list. Each week you'll receive an email, Notes from the Wild, which contains three segments inspired by the world of books. You'll receive a book quote, a profile on a female author, and a thought segment around something that I've been reading or listening to that week. This is the email you'll want in your inbox. A weekly dose of inspiration, ideas to think on, uplifting words, and education around amazing women in the literary world. Head to wildbooks.co to subscribe today.